morning. John 1, 35 to 51. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. The word of the Lord. Do you ever long for more? Some of you might be thinking, more what? And I would say, that's the question, isn't it? To be human is to long for more than we currently experience uh, and for more, to be more than we currently are. In, so often, we don't even know what it is that's something more, and yet we can't stop looking for it. Have you ever felt that? As human beings, we can't help but wonder, is there something more? In 1977, NASA launched two space probes called Voyager 1 and Voyager 2. On each of those probes, they put a golden album called The Sounds of Earth. Uh, they wanted to say to any um, intelligent life out there, this is who we are. This is what it means to be human. Do you feel the same way too? And so they put different sounds on the album like rain, footsteps, laughter, a heartbeat. But they also put music Andrian was uh, a creative director who helped produce the album. She says the first music that she thought of was a piece by Beethoven called The Cavatina. She says, I thought of this great, beautiful, sad piece of music on which Beethoven had written in the margin the word sensucht, which is German for longing. Part of what we wanted to capture in the Voyager message was this great longing we feel. We were hoping that things like passion and longing are not just limited to our narrow experience, but might be something felt in other worlds. That is an amazing statement. Is it just us? Are we crazy? 
Or is it just possible that maybe we have this longing for something more because there actually is something more? But if there is, what is it? And how would we even find it? We're beginning a series today in which we're looking at various questions that Jesus asked. If you read through the gospel accounts of his life, you will see that Jesus asked literally hundreds of questions. And Jesus' questions always go right to the heart of our existence. So over the next seven weeks, we're going to look at a handful of these questions with two goals in mind. One, we want to ask, how are you? How is Jesus using these questions to probe our own hearts? But second, how do these questions teach us how to have deeper conversations with people? More loving, caring, respectful conversations, maybe even spiritual conversations with people. This morning, uh, the question we're looking at goes right to the heart of our deepest longing for more. In this passage, Jesus invites us to three things. He invites us to know ourselves better, to know him better, and to a new life in this world. Jesus invites us to know ourselves better, to know him better, and to a new life in this world. Okay? So first, Jesus invites us to know ourselves better. At the very beginning of this story, uh, there are two guys, and they're standing there, and they see Jesus walking by, and they start following him. And it says, Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? Now, this is huge, because up to this point, um, the Gospel of John has said a lot about Jesus, especially that he is the God of the universe who came to earth as a human being, but this is the first time we actually hear Jesus speak himself, and first words are never random. In any book or movie, the hero's first words are always going to tell you a lot about who that person is. And what kind of story this is? So who is Jesus? What kind of God is this? Well, what prompts his question? I love this. It says that Jesus um, saw them following. He saw them following. He saw them expressing a desire for something just by the sheer fact that they were following him. And so he asks them about it. Friends, one of the first and most amazing things this shows us is that God is curious about our desires. And right out of the gate, that explodes our categories for what we think Christianity is. In our culture, it's easy to think that Christianity is all about shutting down desire. For instance, in um, TV shows and movies, how are Christians usually portrayed? They're usually portrayed as hypocritical, judgmental, emotionally repressed prudes that are afraid of desire, even though they're full of desire themselves. Do you remember Angela from The Office? But this is showing us that God is all about exploring our desires. He's not afraid of our desire. He's not dismissive of it. He's certainly not angry about it. Jesus is curious about your desire. But even more than that, Jesus is inviting us to be more curious about our desires. And the way he does it is with a question. He says, what are you seeking? Whenever Jesus asks a question in the Bible, it's not because Jesus needs the information, it's because we do. For instance, in Genesis 3, when the first humans eat the fruit, God told them not to eat, they hide from God. 
But God comes into the garden and he calls out, where are you? When God says, where are you? It's not because God is looking for information about their geographical location. God is not asking for himself. He's asking for them. It's the same thing with Jesus. He's not asking for himself. He's asking for us. Jesus is inviting us to be more honest with ourselves about ourselves. He's inviting us to know ourselves better because there are layers or levels to this question. At the surface level, what, what are these disciples seeking? Jesus asks them, what are you seeking? And they say, um, uh, well, one of them, Andrew, tells us what they're seeking. It says, he first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. Now, we just spent the last six weeks talking about this, but uh, briefly, uh, first century Jewish people were waiting for God to come and rescue them from evil and renew this material world. And the way God had promised that he was going to do that was through a king called the Messiah or Christ, both of which mean anointed one. The problem is, at this point, uh, Jews had been living under brutal oppression from the Roman Empire. So these, um, this king they were looking for, the Messiah they were looking for, they were thinking in terms of a political liberator. And so when Jesus asks them, what are you seeking? What they're seeking is political liberation and religious freedom. And listen, there's nothing wrong with those things. The problem is not our desire. The problem is not the things we desire. The problem is the things we think we desire are not the things we really desire. Jesus is inviting us to consider the desire beneath the desire because, friends, there's always a desire beneath the desire. And if we are not honest with ourselves about that, then we will constantly be chasing these surface desires, thinking this is the thing that's finally going to make me happy. We think, well, if I could just get my career to the next level, or if I could just get more money and possessions, or if I could just get that perfect GPA, or the approval of my parents, or the approval of my peers, or the ideal romantic partner, or if I could just lose 10 pounds, or if I could just get more likes on my next social media post. And many of us, perhaps all of us, recognize how superficial those things are, and yet we still get sucked into them. And yet many of you may be thinking, no, 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 my desires are deeper than that. I'm not that superficial. If only I could become a more virtuous person or a more spiritual person or a more authentic person. If only I could make the world a better place. But friends, listen, whatever the desire is, we think if I could just get this in my life, then I won't be so miserable and empty. But have you ever experienced this, that if by some stroke of luck you actually do get that thing in your life that you thought it was going to fix you, you thought it was going to fulfill you, and not only does it not, but you end up more miserable and empty than you were before you had it. You, you realize that is the story of our world and the human condition, is it not? No matter how much we think, this is the thing that's going to satisfy me, this is the thing that's going to make me happy, it never does because there's always a desire beneath the desire. Jesus is inviting us to be more curious about our desires. He's, it's almost as if, you know, imagine you were one of those disciples following Jesus on that dusty road out on the desert. And Jesus turns around, looks you right in the eye and says, what are you seeking? 
what would you say? You might say, well, I'm seeking this, or I'm seeking that, whatever it might be. And Jesus would say, okay, now tell me what you're really seeking. I don't know about you, but if I'm being honest with myself, a lot of times I would have no idea how to answer that question except to say, more. I'm looking for more than just this world and the things of this world. And Jesus, Jesus would say, good, now we can really have a conversation. And that leads to our next point. Jesus invites us to know ourselves better, but second, Jesus invites us to know him better. You know, one of the really challenging things about any time we start talking about our desire for something more than this world is it could lead us to possibly disregard or even despise this world. Have you ever heard the saying, Christians are so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good? That is not an unfair criticism. But if you look at the history of religion and spirituality from ancient times right up to this modern world, you see the same thing. Ancient Greeks said that our bodies in this material world are bad. They said the body is a prison. The body is a tomb. And the goal is to escape it all to some disembodied heaven. Or if you look at Eastern spiritual traditions, they say that this physical material world is an illusion. It's not real. We only think it's real because our consciousness isn't evolved enough. That creates a huge tension in our lives between, on the one hand, our spiritual longings for something beyond this world, and on the other hand, the goodness, beauty, and value of this ordinary world. What do we do with that tension? Well, one option is um, what's called detachment. We, um, we detach from the things of this world, and we set our desires on something beyond this world. The Greek philosopher Epictetus once said that when you're kissing your child goodnight, you should softly whisper, tomorrow you will die. We detach from the things of this world and set our desires on something beyond this world. It's the way of detachment. Another more modern option would be to say, well, look, science has proven that um, that there is nothing beyond this material world. So if religion and spirituality have any value in this world, it's in helping us become better people and make this world a better place. In that way, uh, religion and spirituality become uh, a way of social activism and political progress. But, but do you see the tension between these two things? Either we are sacrificing this world for the sake of our longing, our spiritual longings for something more, or we're sacrificing our spiritual longings for the sake of this world. But Jesus sacrifices neither. What do I mean? Later in this story, Jesus meets a guy named Nathaniel. Nathaniel is looking for the Messiah. And remember, that in, for first century Jewish people, that was politically loaded. But when Jesus meets Nathaniel, Nathaniel is skeptical about Jesus because Jesus is from Nazareth. And Nazareth was this tiny, backwater, little hick town. It was nowheresville. And so Nathaniel says, Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? It's kind of like New Yorkers when they say St. Louis. Can anything good come from St. Louis? But when Jesus meets Nathaniel, he says, hey, Nathaniel, I know you. I saw you sitting under the fig tree. And Nathaniel's blown away. Now, a lot of people have tried to figure out 
what was Nathaniel doing under the fig tree that caused that reaction? Was he praying? Was he weeping? We don't know. But whatever he was doing, it was something so intimate and meaningful to him that when he realizes Jesus sees him and knows him at that level, he cries out, Jesus, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Now those are messianic titles. And Jesus, Nathaniel throws these messianic titles at Jesus. And remember, these were politically loaded titles. But here's the amazing thing. When you read through the Gospels, um, people are constantly throwing these titles at Jesus. Son of God, Son of David, King of Israel. They're constantly throwing these titles at Jesus that are politically loaded. But you'll notice that Jesus never refuses the titles. He never says, don't call me that. I am not just a political liberator. No. Jesus doesn't refuse the titles. Jesus redefines the titles by redefining people's understanding of him. He says, Nathaniel, because I said I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe you will see greater things than these? Now, what are the greater things Jesus says Nathaniel is going to see? He says, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, Jesus is quoting Genesis 28, which is all about one of the fathers of the nation of Israel, a guy, actually a scoundrel, named Jacob. In Genesis 28, Jacob is on the run for his life. He cheated his brother. He deceived his father. All because his deepest desire was for the blessing of the firstborn, which he stole from his brother. And, and because he was chasing that surface desire, you know, the amazing thing, he thought, if I could just get in this in my life, then I would be happy. Then I won't be so miserable and empty. But he got it, and his life fell apart. So here he is out in the wilderness. It says he has nothing but a stone for a pillow. And he has this dream where he sees a stairway coming down from heaven. And it says that there were angels of God ascending and descending on the stairway. In other words, God is not pulling everything out of this world into heaven. God is pouring his love, power, blessing, healing, and renewal into this world. God, in other words, the stairway is the bridge between heaven and earth. It's not dividing heaven and earth. The stairway is the union of heaven and earth. And God is the one who's doing the uniting. Friends, this is the difference between the gospel and every other religion or spiritual path as far as I've ever been able to discover. Every religion or spiritual path is all about a stairway to heaven. Here are the things you must do. You must be a good person. You must be a holy person. You must do the right things. Here are the spiritual disciplines you must practice. And if you do it all well enough, then you will climb. You will ascend the stairway and you will get up to heaven and you will get up to God. But the gospel is the exact opposite of that. The gospel isn't telling you, here are all the things you must do so you can climb the stairway and get up to God. The gospel is telling you, here's what God has done to come down to you. Not just to good people, but to scoundrels like Jacob, to broken, messed up people like Jacob and you and me. How can God do that? Jesus is telling us. He says, you will see angels of God ascending and descending where? Not to the Son of Man, but on the Son of Man. 
Are you getting goosebumps yet? Do you realize what Jesus is saying? He's saying, I am the bridge. I am the union. I am bringing heaven and earth together in my own body. Now, this is saying Jesus doesn't despise or disregard the world. All the power, love, blessing, healing, and renewal of God are being poured into this world through Jesus, through his body. Do you see how radical this is? I mean, Jesus is not sacrificing this world for the sake of heaven. He's also not sacrificing heaven for the sake of this world. Jesus isn't sacrificing either or both. Jesus is sacrificing himself for the sake of both. Because Jesus, on the cross, Jesus unites heaven and earth in his own body. Friends, the question, what are you seeking, doesn't just help us know ourselves better. It helps us to know Jesus better. Because if you had been at the cross and you looked up and you saw Jesus hanging there and you were able to ask him, Jesus, what are you seeking? Jesus already told us. In Luke 19, Jesus said, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus came to seek you. He came to seek me. That's what he's doing. Jesus has a something more that he's looking for too, and it's you and me. Because on the cross, Jesus is bringing heaven and earth together through his death on the cross. He doesn't disregard or despise this world. He gave his life for this world, for you and me. And that leads to the last invitation we see here. Jesus invites us to know ourselves better. He invites us to know himself better. But lastly, Jesus is inviting us to a new life in this world. You know, what does all of this mean for us today? If you put all of this together, you realize that Jesus is saying something that no one in the history of the world ever said before. Jesus is not just saying, hey, I can show you how to find that something more you're longing for. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, I am that something more you're longing for. There's a famous old saying about the finger pointing at the moon. The idea is that a finger can be helpful because it can point you to the moon. But if you keep looking at the finger, you'll miss the moon. The point is not to look at the finger, but to look at the moon. And if you just keep looking at the finger, you're going to look at the moon. You'll, you'll miss the moon, I should say. And Jesus is saying, I am not just the finger, but Actually, Jesus is going even farther than that. You know that the moon has no light of its own? Moonlight is simply a reflection of the sun. Jesus is, not, is saying, I am not just the finger, but I'm also not just the moon. I am the light. I am the life and the love, the goodness, beauty, and joy of which everything else is a mere reflection. A good reflection a real reflection, it's not an illusion, a valuable and worthwhile reflection, but a reflection nonetheless. That means that in the arms of every lover, it's always been Jesus you're looking for. In every career or ambition, it's Jesus you've been looking for. In every family or experience of belonging and connectedness, it's always Jesus you've been looking for. In every experience of pleasure, in every sunset that ever broke your heart, in every childhood home you went back to visit, in every spiritual path you've ever explored, it's always been Jesus you've been looking for because Jesus is the desire 
beneath every desire. And when you find your true desire in Jesus, do you know what that does for you? It means that all the people, places, and things that we were always looking to as our something more, you know those things were never able to satisfy us. Why? Because we weren't really loving them, we were using them. We were looking to these things to be that something more for us. We put all kinds of demands and expectations on them to be that something more, but they could never live up to those expectations because they were never meant to in the first place. The tragic irony is that the more we put those kinds of expectations on those things, the more we actually crush them with our expectations, and the more their inevitable failure to live up to our expectations crushes us. But when you find that something more in Jesus, that means that you don't stop loving those things. It means you're actually able to start loving those things, really loving those things, for the first time in your life because you're no longer expecting them to be that something more that will make you happy. Friends, that's real detachment. You can't detach from one thing without attaching to another. And as human beings, we need healthy, secure, safe, loving attachments just to flourish and survive as human beings. That's why babies die if they're not held. That's why relationships die if they're not safe. That's why you will shrivel and die if you don't have safe, healthy, secure attachments in your life. Friends, only until you attach to Jesus, the real attachment, only until you're connected to the ultimate attachment you were created for, Jesus, can you finally flourish as a human being. And the more you attach to Jesus, the freer or more detached you become to actually start loving all the things in this world for the first time. Because loving Jesus doesn't pull you out of this world. Loving Jesus gives you back to this world. It makes you a gift to this world. That's why, you know, when you look at this question, what are you seeking? It's not just a question that's working in our own hearts. It's a question that sends you back out into the world to be at work in the hearts of others. You remember those first two disciples? They see Jesus, they start following. Jesus gets really curious about their desires. They get really curious about Jesus. Jesus, can you help us find that something more we're looking for? Jesus says, come and you will see. It's an invitation to explore their desires. But the very next thing that happens is those disciples go out and they start inviting others. So again, when Philip goes to his buddy Nathaniel, Hey, Nathaniel, we found the Messiah. It's Jesus of Nazareth. And of course, Nathaniel is skeptical. Nazareth, can anything good come out of Nazareth? But what does Philip say? Come and see. It's an invitation, not just to know ourselves better, but to know Jesus better. Friends, here's the point. This question is not just for ourselves, it's for others. Jesus is curious about you, but he's also inviting you to be curious about others. He's inviting you to be curious about others because loving Jesus doesn't pull us out of this world. Loving Jesus gives us back to the world. And so, yes, on the one hand, that does mean acts of service. It does mean working for justice. It does mean um, caring for creation. It means all of those things. But it also means inviting others to be more curious about their desires and find the desire beneath the desire in Jesus. And maybe some of you are thinking, wait a minute, my antenna is up now. Sounds like you're talking about evangelism. 
But if we're talking about grabbing people on the street and force-feeding the Bible down their throat, I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about. I, I think, you know, if, but if we are talking about having spiritual conversations with people who are already curious about something more and want to talk about that, that's a different conversation. That's a very different conversation. And people want to have that conversation. More and more studies are showing overwhelmingly that this world is full of people who are deeply curious about spiritual things. They want to talk about it. And all we have to do is be curious enough to ask them. Remember those two disciples. They're looking for something more. And Jesus is curious enough about them to see, to notice that they're curious about him even though they don't know what they're really looking for. Can we do the same thing? Can we be more curious about other people? Having spiritual conversations with people really is one of the easiest things in the world to do. It doesn't mean you have to be an expert trained in having these highfalutin, sophisticated, theological confabulations with people. All it means you have to do is be curious enough to stop talking for a moment and simply ask someone, what are you seeking? What is it that you desire? Tell me more about your desires. And then all you have to do is be quiet long enough to let people share, and they will. Don't you want to be asked about your desires? Of course you do. Don't you think other people want to be asked about their desires? Of course they do. Just be curious about people's desires. Friends, Jesus is the desire beneath every desire. And it's not a question of forcing Jesus on people, but of being curious enough about them to ask them about their desires and invite them to consider the possibility that Jesus just might be the something more they're longing for. Because every longing pursued far enough leads to Jesus. Lamin Sane was a professor at Yale University for decades he uh, was born and raised in the Gambia as part of an ancient African royal family. He grew up Muslim, but then he converted to Christianity and became one of the greatest Christian scholars in the world. In one of his books, he points out that every culture has longings and desires. Every culture has its own longings and its own desires. And he talks about how Africans have this longing. They believe that, that, that the world is spiritually alive, but also that the world is subject to dark spiritual forces. And he talks about how, you know, Western secularism wants to come in and deny their spiritual longings and say, look, that's nothing more than a primitive superstition. But then he looks at Christianity, he says Christianity comes in and it affirms Africans' spiritual longings and goes farther than that and says that Jesus is the fulfillment of all your longings because every longing pursued far enough leads to Jesus. Here's how he puts it in his book. He says people, that is Africans, sensed in their hearts that Jesus did not mock their respect for the sacred or their clamor or desire for an invincible savior, so they beat their drums for Jesus until the stars skipped and danced in the skies. After that dance, the stars weren't little anymore. Christianity helped Africans to become renewed Africans, not remade Europeans. Every desire pursued long enough 
far enough leads to Jesus because Jesus is the desire beneath every desire. Is he your desire? The more he becomes your desire, the more he will invite you and send you back out into the world as a gift to get curious about other people's desires and to help other people discover more about the desire beneath their desires, to discover that something more they've been longing for. His name is Jesus. He died on a cross because he lost everything because you were that something more he was seeking. Would you pray with me? Father, we praise you today that um, you created us with desire. And especially you created us to find the satisfaction and the fulfillment of all our deepest desires in you. You made us for yourselves, as Augustine said, and, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Lord, thank you that you did not leave us miserable and empty, seeking our desire in surface shallow things but that you came to earth because we are your desire. You, um, Lord Jesus, came and died on a cross because um, your something more is the people you created and loved and you gave your life for them. This morning, we pray that you would help us to be more curious about our own desires and to see you, Lord Jesus, as the fulfillment of our deepest desires. We also pray that you would encourage and help us and strengthen us to be more curious about other people's desires to see them as those who are um, looking and wandering and hoping for that something more and that you would help us to be curious enough to ask them what are they seeking and then in gentle, loving, caring, respectful ways to invite them to consider the desire beneath every desire, Jesus Christ. For we pray it all in Jesus' name, amen.